Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a ministry that's dedicated to speaking the gospel out of every corner of Scripture. In Luke 24, Jesus told his disciples that every part of the Bible was about him. So each week, hosts David and Seth work through a passage of Scripture to see how it's all about Jesus and his good news. Let's jump in. Well, welcome everyone to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Seth, how are you, my friend? I mean, full of tacos and ready to talk about judgment. <laughs> we did just go eat tacos. They were pretty um, excellent. If you ever find yourself in Oklahoma City. Big Truck Tacos. Big Truck Tacos. Not a sponsor. Not a Why sponsor. Why do people say that? I don't know. Is there like a reason? It's so you don't, you know you're not bought out and you actually are personally mm, endorsing it. I'm endorsing. Personally endorsing those big, tacos. Big Truck Tacos. <laughs> Get the lengua, the Flaming Lips Taco. If you can eat cow tongue. If you can eat cow tongue. Yeah, yeah. it's... Uh, we both had it. Flaming Lips, good. that band's from Oklahoma City. That's true. So And Cowtown. And Cowtown. So both those reasons. We've, we've turned off so many listeners get already the, by get talking the cow- about I mean, this. if you are you can't handle our conversation about Cowtown. You're just, not prepared. Get, just get ready for <laughs> Sodom and Gomorrah and, and the world. And fallen angels and Nephilim. And the world burning and dissolving. <laughs> and melting away. Uh, it's a big It's a big episode. It's a big episode. So we're, we're in, just to set the stage, we're, we're in Second Peter one sixteen through the end. We're going to yeah. cover most of Second Peter. And like, what's on the line in this episode? Like, what are we covering? We're covering um, the claims. So Peter's dying. Mm-hmm. This is his last letter. Yeah, deathbed letter. He's just given this long sermon about the necessity of righteousness, the necessity of godliness in believers. And he's addressing now the claims of false teachers who both deny that there's a second coming, who deny the Holy Spirit-inspired quality of the Old Testament, mm. and so deny the necessity for living any one particular moral way. Right. So... Right. Why do we need to obey the Bible and live a moral life if God's never going to come back and judge? Yeah. It's just like if that's just made up by Yeah. That's just made up by the... That's just a man-made myth. Right. Judgment is a man-made myth. We don't religious elite to oppress you out of your freedom. Right. I mean, it's he says it in verse sixteen. We don't, did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The right. false teachers are claiming the whole idea of a second coming is a man-made construct in to, order to control you to enforce moral control, yeah. which that sounds very on modern. brand <laughs> and very modern. Um, and so, what Peter does is essentially in these last two chapters uh, is unpack why that's. A false assumption and why it's not a myth and why the scriptures of the Old Testament do prophesy a day of coming judgment against evil, wickedness, and unrighteousness, and therefore we must live a specific type of moral life today. Okay, so that's what's on the line. That's what's going on. Where are we picking up here in Second Peter 16? You said we just came off of talking about righteousness? Yeah, Peter's been going all in on his deathbed sermon about not only the necessity of righteous and godly living in our own lives, a life of moral progress, but also that God has himself has given us his righteousness. Mm-hmm. We share in the divine righteousness of God himself. Right. Um, and that grows in us into that whole thing we talked about where it's like uh, virtue grows into knowledge mm-hmm. and knowledge, self-control and self-control, steadfastness, all that stuff. Okay. Yes. And now he's basically doing a hard pivot and mm-hmm. saying, and we did not do this. Out of, we're not talking about righteousness to control you. Mm. We're not talking about righteousness because it's a myth, which is what the false teachers are claiming. Like, right. Like the, living a godly life isn't a method of control. It's not a made up thing based off of our opinion of the end time. Mm. No, God is coming to judge and he demands a certain moral lifestyle now. And that moral lifestyle now and that coming judgment has all been prophesied for thousands of years in the Old Testament. Okay. That's what he's doing. So now as we enter into this this part of the argument, uh, Peter uses a fancy little chiasm. Oh, who loves to, a good chiasm? I mean, our listeners hopefully do by this point, if you're if you're a long-time listener. If you don't, I do. But a chiasm is just basically two, like a number of repeated themes that, mm-hmm. you know, mirror one another mm-hmm. in a literary way. And so this one you have... Uh, he talks about how they are true teachers that have followed the true prophets 
but the his opponents are false prophets who are false teachers. That's right. And that's that's it. That's what's, that's what's happening here. So he's going to first validate his own ministry, the apostles' ministry, mm-hmm. and say, what we're teaching is true. Let yep. me prove it to you. And how does he prove it to them? So he's, so the, the charge is that they're teaching myths about the second coming of mm-hmm. Jesus, that Jesus does not have the authority to judge our moral behavior, and he's not coming to do so. And he says, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So he's saying, you saying we're mythicists, mm-hmm. but we were eyewitnesses to something. And here's what he was an eyewitness to. For when he received honor and glory from the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, saying, this is my beloved Son, in who I am well pleased. He's talking about the Mount of Transfiguration mm-hmm. that Peter, James, and John were on, where Jesus was clothed in white, he had a shining face, Elijah and Moses were there, and God speaks from the heaven, this is my Son. Yeah. So question for you Mm. why is an eyewitness to this crazy supernatural event proof that they aren't making things up (laughs) Uh, (laughs) right because to my mind it's like you're making things up about the end times and that jesus is coming back like oh really we saw jesus turn into a white man (laughs) (laughs) you know like a glowing (laughs) not like a caucasian man like a glowing man (laughs) and like we saw him in his glory yes and that my private experience on the mountaintop with a couple of the guys proves oh right what that you're false i don't get yeah. that well i mean this a simple non-theological answer is like how can you, you you can you can come at me and say i made everything up but if i tell you that i'm an eyewitness and there's hard evidence and other people saw him with me then like i'm it's not a myth and you're not just attacking me you're attacking james and john right. and jesus yeah it's and- like a simple court of law you know, if uh, if if you're claiming events happened, you know, and they're like, well, how do you how do we know this 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 occurred? You know, mm-hmm. the the people are coming, the per, the prosecutors coming at you on the yeah. bench, and he's like, how do we know this even occurred? You could just be making all this up, and you're like, well, I saw it happen, and then the jury gasps, like <gasps> an eyewitness, like right. an eyewitness is the most damaging evidence you can bring to a court case. You know, yeah. In verse 18, he says, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, and we were with him on the holy mountain. Yeah. The idea is. We're not making things up. You are. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're just, you're the one conjecturing on no basis whatsoever that we're making things up. That there's no coming day of judgment. Where's your eyewitness that there is no coming day? Why is the day, the transfiguration, proof of coming judgment? Yeah. That's a great, I like that question better. Uh, because in my mind, the transfiguration is just a weird story in the Gospels mm. that I, on face value, I'm like, I don't know what happened there all the time yeah i mean now i do that i've studied it well but yes like, oh yeah totally i remember uh, reading that and be like well cool jesus glowed right yeah, yeah. it's like he must be god yeah, yeah. that sounds it's, cool it's a it's a huge moment nt wright argues that it is the pinnacle of every gospel of the gospel accounts oh. uh which is fascinating to read nt wright on it but um it, it, the point is that that is the moment that the little hints and the little clues and the little and like the words and the teaching and the miracles that you get throughout the gospels they were like hinting at the fact that jesus was god that jesus was fulfilling the story of israel that he was the fulfillment the consummation of the story of god and his people throughout the old testament but then whenever he goes up on a mountain is transfigured into the same glory cloud that in which god met his people on top of a mountain at sinai Mm -hmm. and then whenever you have the witness of the gospel, Moses there, along with Israel's oldest chief prophet, Elijah, there at his side. It's like, oh, Jesus is the God of the Old Testament. Jesus isn't just a miracle worker. No, he is God. He is God. And as God, he has the right to judge Israel. He has the right to judge the earth, which I think Peter, so what Peter does here too, he borrows language from Psalm 2 to make this point Mm -hmm. and Psalm two is a Psalm about the coming Messiah who will judge the earth. Right. So when Jesus is enthroned as God, he is the man who can rightfully rule or when he is transfigured, it's proof that he is the man who can judge both Israel and the world. Yeah. It was his coronation. Yes. That's when he put on the crown Mm -hmm. and his people knew he was the king. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah, absolutely. That gives him the right to judge because not only, because this is a repeat of the Sinai story, right? Where the law was given. And so we know that Jesus is not a great rabbi, a great teacher of the law. He was the great author of the law. 
he was the one who wrote the law. He was the one. He was the thunderbolts. Right. He was like he was yes. the glory. Right. And so yeah. therefore, as the author of the law, he is its ultimate arbiter, its ultimate judge, its almost its ultimate implementer. So the reason why the transfiguration is proof that there's a coming day of judgment is because Jesus has proven himself by eyewitnesses to be the judge of Psalm two and of Sinai. That's exactly right. So yep. yep. He's like. What, on what basis does Jesus have to come back and judge the world? You know, he's not. It's not like he wrote the law or something. And it's like, uh, except he did. Except he did. Yeah. <laughs> We're not making things up. You, you are. are. Yeah. That's that's his that's, point. That's here. his point. In the next verse, uh, Peter continues his argument, mm-hmm. and he says this: "And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to." a lamp shining in a dark place until mm-hmm. the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. So this is where he's moving to the second part of the chiasm mm-hmm. away from, okay, I've confirmed our ministry mm-hmm. as teachers. We're eyewitnesses. We have the authority to say that what we're what we're teaching is not made up. We saw yeah. it. And then beyond that, I'm going to now appeal back to the Old Testament and mm-hmm. say that all those prophecies that we've been hearing and have put our trust in, mm-hmm. we have seen its confirmation. Yep. That we know that what has been said is true. Because of dot, dot, dot. Yeah. We're about to say. Yeah. So he says this, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture come from, comes from someone's own interpretation. So apparently part of the false teacher's claim was that the Old Testament is not written by God. It's not inspired. That's it's, right. It's not written by the Holy Spirit. It was just people maybe having encounters with God or, you know, like writing good things even. Right. But they weren't God's words. They were just their own interpretation, their own man-made myths about the events of their time. And then Peter responds like, well, no prophecy has ever been produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Right. There's a whole doctrine of scripture here we could get into. Yes. <laughs> which is not the point we're trying to make today, but like... No, it's not. And yeah, and it's it's not necessarily Peter's point either. Um, so, but so, yes. so another question here. So apparently these false teachers not only doubt that there's a coming day of judgment or that Jesus is a judge, they also doubt the authority or the truthfulness or the God-breathedness mm-hmm. of the Old Testament. Right. And then Peter's response is, well, the Holy Spirit wrote it, so get over it. Like, why not? <laughs> like, I, as a false teacher, this doesn't feel convinced. If I was going to be a false teacher, this isn't convincing to me yet. Why? Right. Why, why, why make it the argument this way? Yeah. Well, I mean, part of the part of the reason is he's not writing to the false teachers. He's writing uh, to the people they're teaching. Right. And I think he's reminding them like, "Hey, let's let's get our heads on straight here. Mm-hmm. You guys believe that the Holy Spirit wrote the Old Testament? Mm-hmm. That that the prophets listened to the voice of God and were carried along by the Holy Spirit?" Yes. So like, let's lay the facts out. Whose teaching is most in line with the Holy Spirit? And everything that's been written in the Old Testament and then in the transfiguration of Christ and the teachings of Christ and his apostles. If we can draw one straight line through the Old Testament all through Jesus and what we're teaching you today, I can prove to you that what we're saying is authentic and what the false teachers are saying is inauthentic because the Holy Spirit isn't going to contradict himself since you believe he wrote the Old Testament. Okay. And so the point he's about to make is that the Old Testament scriptures have always talked about a coming day of judgment. That's right. So if you're looking to see who's right and who's wrong, who's the false teacher and who's the true teacher, well, one, who has the consistent storyline? Right. We do. Yes. We're not teaching anything new. These false teachers are teaching something new. Yep. And then in verse two, he says, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you right. who secretly bring in destructive heresies, yes, even denying the master who bought them. So I think this is interesting. Yeah, He's connecting these false teachers to an ancient, like a past false teacher. Right. And they're like spiritual, and these new ones are spiritual descendants of a historic type of false teaching that's yeah. been endemic throughout Israel's history. False prophets are a category in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. He's like, you guys understand... There's also, a, a, if we're looking for the consistent narrative of scripture pertaining to God's judgment, there's also a consistent narrative of scripture pertaining to false prophets. He says this in verse three, their condemnation from long ago, their condemnation mm-hmm. from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. Exactly what you're saying. There's always been this threat of false teachers and they've always taught the same thing and the same thing, the same coming destruction, the same coming judgment has always been prophesied. Yeah, it's interesting what he's doing is he's allowing the, he's using the false teachers themselves as proof of God's coming judgment. 
Yes. Because he's saying yeah. like, okay, let me just, let me just even, it's such an ironic thing. He's like, the, the false teachers are saying there is no coming judgment. And he says, by the very fact that there are teachers teaching something contrary to scripture continues to fulfill the truth that the Old Testament has always said that when people contradict God's will, there will be judgment against them. That's how it's always worked. When there's false teachers, false prophets, they're judged and condemned. And now again, we have false teachers and false prophets. What do you think is going to come next? Condemnation. You're proving God's point, not counter contradicting it. Like, yeah, it's it's irony. Like they're falling into the trap they set for themselves. These false teachers are. It's kind yeah. of funny. It's kind of funny. Anyway, so that's that's what that's Peter's argument. Yep. And he's also warning his church that they might be lured into following them into the sensuality and licentiousness that they're practicing mm-hmm. saying there's, we can live however we want because God's not coming back. And so we get into the meat of what Peter, this, so that's him setting up. the Yeah. Argument. Now he's going to go through his proof texts. He's going to throw his proof, like texts. his evidence. And so yeah. he has three stories. Yep. He has one about the sons of God and the Nephilim from Genesis six. Woo. He's going to talk about Noah and the flood, also from Genesis 6. Then he's going to talk about uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, which I forget the verse reference for off the top of my head. Genesis 18? It's in Genesis. Um, And then in a second, he's going to talk about defiling or blaspheming or slandering angelic beings, which we'll come to very last. But before we get into the details here, the broader point, I want to make sure we land. Uh Uh-huh a group of people is denying a day of coming judgment. Right. So what do the stories of Sodom and Gomorrah, the sons of God and the daughters of men uh-huh. and Noah all have in common? You have a, a large percentage or a large group of people, the sons of God, Noah, the people living in Noah's day, mm-hmm. the citizens of Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah, Gomorrah, all denying that there was a boundary or specific moral way to live, transgressing that command. Uh-huh. And then you had righteous people in the midst of those being saved. And the people who denied the coming judgment, denied that they needed rescue, or denied that they needed to live a certain way, were the ones that were um, Judged, came under ju- yeah. came, mm-hmm. came under judgment. So you have him giving you those two categories. False teachers are a type of people. They're like the sons of God who slept with the daughters of Eve. They're like the citizens of Sodom and Gomorrah. They're like the people who didn't who were violent and only yeah. did evil all the time in mm-hmm. Noah's day. And then he gives us a contrast: Lot, who was grieved over the wickedness he saw around him. Mm-hmm. Noah, who proclaimed righteousness. He was a herald of righteousness. And what's Peter's broadest point that he's making? People who preach that there's no coming day of judgment are ironically judged. And those who know there's a coming day of judgment and weep over and proclaim over it are the ones that are saved. Mm. That's the broadest point he's making. Yeah. And so he's saying, if that's the pattern of scripture, if that's what the Holy Spirit has revealed, if that's what the judge of heaven is saying, Jesus himself, that's what you should do too. Live righteously, proclaim righteousness, weep over unrighteousness. Don't deny that all those things are coming. Mm. I mean, you, you've nailed it there. I think I that's really good. No, I, I just want to repeat something you said in all of this because it's just really clear is that those who deny a coming judgment will be judged those who are expecting a coming judgment will be saved from it. Yeah. It's just like, that is really clear. Really interesting. <laughs> you did say that. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, like, that's really helpful that you have these false teachers who are saying that there's not going to be a coming day of judgment and they fall right in line with the people who weren't expecting what was going to happen in Sodom and Gomorrah. The people who made fun of Noah while he was building the ark. Like, mm-hmm. And they're the ones that fell under judgment. In the meantime, you have Noah being like, guys, uh, the, the flood's coming. It's, you know, it's, judgment's really going to rain down. He was a man go. blameless in his time. Yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah, and then you've got, like, you've got Lot fleeing the city, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and, yeah, and those are the ones who are saved. It's really interesting. Uh, and so the, the the argument has quite an obvious force to it uh, of what Peter's trying to do here. Mm-hmm. Is he's just saying, you're on the wrong side of the biblical story. Yeah. That I mean, like, yeah. he ends it this way. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials Mm. and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. And especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Mm -hmm. Which is another way to say, so I think it's helpful to say here that it's not just, this isn't just an argument that Mm -hmm. he's building. It's definitely that. It's definitely a polemic against these false teachers. But it's written in such a way too to be a, encouragement yes to these beleaguered 
Christians uh, because he, he says he does this whole if then statement thing throughout where he's like, if God judged the sons of God, mm-hmm. you know, for sleeping with the daughters of man, yeah. if God judged the people in the days of Noah, if God judged Sodom and Gomorrah, he will judge mm-hmm. the um, false teachers mm-hmm. too, those who believe there's not a coming judgment. But remember, he saved Lot and he mm-hmm. saved Noah. Yeah. So he can also save you. Yeah. It's an if then thing. It's just like you, you false teachers look back. Those who don't believe are judged. You who are waiting for Jesus to return, look back. God will save. Mm-hmm. Like there's hope for you too. Uh, it's just like a really pastoral way. I wish I was that good at debunking arguments while building up other people. <laughs> I love build. I love making arguments when the other person feels terrible. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm just like, man, that's a that's a talented pastor there to be uh, able to debunk a really intense argument while building up his congregation. Well, when Jesus looks you in the eyes after having denied him three times, he, sa- he says, "Take care of my sheep." You're like, "Take care of my okay. sheep, Peter." Okay, Peter. What? Peter. What? Take care of my sheep. Oh, okay, I will. I'll try really hard. <laughs> That that leaves a mark in your soul. It does. Yeah, you you want to be a good pastor after that happens. Um, Part of me doesn't want to go any deeper into these stories. Totally. um, Because I think to get too much deeper into them is to miss the point. Is to miss the point. Yeah. So let me ask you this question then: Instead of going super deep into all these different stories, why why is it good news that the Old Testament um, is telling a story? that those who don't expect judgment and who mock a coming judgment are judged and those who do expect a coming judgment are saved and that that is somehow confirmed in Jesus's transfiguration as the lawgiver and judge Mm -hmm. that is now coming to us as Christians today. Why is that story good news for Christians right now, Seth Stewart? I mean, I think there, I think there's some, Christians who love to stick it to the liberals and say things like, see, there's a coming day of judgment. You're wrong. Mm. I think what Peter is doing here is saying there is a coming day of judgment. Don't miss that Mm -hmm. false teachers. But if that day is certain, how much more certain is the day of deliverance? Mm -hmm. I think like the inevitability of judgment is paired really closely with the inevitability of the rescue of the righteous. Right, definitely. And I think even the way you framed that a second ago was like, where does all this start? The divine lawgiver. Mm -hmm. How did Israel respond to on Mount Sinai when there was thunder and the cloud and Moses went up there? They were terrified. They were terrified. They didn't want to go near it. They didn't want to go near it. They asked God to stop talking. (laughs) The hope at the end of Second Peter is that that glory comes to us in Jesus Mm -hmm. and we live with him. Mm. We actually, the divine law can come near us and we're not afraid of it. Mm -hmm. I think that's the other thing. It's like, why were they afraid? Because they were about to go into God's presence. There's no way they could be good enough to enter into God's presence. But for those who expect that coming day of judgment, it actually doesn't come as a punishment for their wickedness, but as a relief for a life lived in righteousness. They can meet the divine lawgiver without guilt. Yeah. And why? Because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. Because uh, uh, it's a, I'm totally midrashing here. Okay. But uh, because of what happened at the Mount of Transfiguration, you have this glorious, transfigured God in in front of you, with Moses and Elijah next to him, and then I mean they want to set up little little tabernacles, mm-hmm. little little right. tents, yeah, you know, to honor him and worship him there. Uh, it's like have a new feast of booths at the new. Mount Sinai. Mm-hmm. They're wanting to recreate what happened in the wilderness. Uh, and yet Jesus just stops glowing, comes back down and it's just Jesus. Yeah. And it's like that, that's what we have today. We have the right, human right. Jesus who has come to us, but joins us into that divine glowing nature, which first Peter or second Peter talked about mm-hmm. earlier. Mm-hmm. And it's like, because we had the Mount of Transfiguration, like because you have the glorious, holy, righteous God, who has come to us and it's, oh, it's just, it's Jesus. Yeah. And he's just there with us. Like yeah. we can and now enter in. The hope for, if we take the false teachers with any like positive feelings, what's the hope of their teaching? Mm. That when God, re- that when they finally die and meet Jesus, that they won't be judged. Mm-hmm. That 
their life won't be counted against them and that they can actually be participants in the divine. How does Peter say you can do that? Peter says that's possible. Mm-hmm. That is possible. Right. You can live a life of sin and also be forgiven in Jesus, living a life of righteousness, and not be counted against you. Right. You can have that relief you're hoping for in him if you trust the judge, if you trust the lawgiver that his laws are a way of life. Like that that sense of relief, does that make sense? It like, does. No, what I'm thinking is like it's good news because we do live in Sodom and Gomorrah. Right. Right. Yes. It's good news because the the napalm cloud is coming, <laughs> you know? And you know, Jesus looks out on the world and there's not 10 righteous people. So he is coming with judgment. But he's given us and it's false hope to say, well live however you want live because that day's not coming. That day's not actually going to come. No, what if it is coming and you still get freedom? Yes. That's that's the that's the good yes. news. Yes. Is that a day of judgment is coming. But God is able to save those who trust in him. Yeah. Like, he will judge, and he will save. And that also transforms righteousness, not from, like, living a good, moral, pro- morally mm-hmm. progressive life. It transforms it from being something restrictive into something that is liberating. Mm. Li- ri- righteous living liberates us to be with God for eternity. It liberates us to participate with the divine. It liberates us and able to actually love our neighbors as we intend, as we want to. Mm-hmm. What is what he in just a second, he's gonna go into all the ways this licentious lifestyle is greedy, it's selfish, harms the people around them, and mm-hmm. ultimately brings about the judgment they're trying to avoid. Yeah. It's like actually righteousness brings you the freedom you're hoping for. And if you expect a, second, a, se- a coming judgment, you will actually get the relief from God you're hoping for. Mm-hmm. Like, that's good news. So you, you ended that last part talking about um, this, like we can be free Mm-hmm. you know, from an unrighteous way of living and live into our salvation that yeah. is coming. Uh, and I, I think you're hinting at where we're about to go, which is that these people, these false teachers were spreading and peddling a, a type of freedom, mm-hmm. which was some kind of sexual licentiousness, mm-hmm. some kind of like freedom from moral restriction, mm-hmm. some kind of like laissez-faire, live however you want kind of approach to life, yep. carpe diem, Carpe all them DMs. Uh, yeah. Uh, verse 18. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh. Verse 19. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. Uh, so they're peddling freedom, but all they're giving away is slavery. Yes. Okay. And three different times throughout these next several verses, he'll describe this type of slavery mm. as being like an animal hmm. um, in three kind of very different ways. <laughs> Is there, can you think of a reason why he chose to use an animal metaphor to belittle these false teachers with everything um, else going on? Or is it just a convenient metaphor for him? Uh, well, I mean, the idea of living by your passions. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's living like by yeah. your appetites. Right. It's a very animalistic way of living. Right. And so he's ex- uh, belittling is probably the wrong word. Yeah. He's like, he's exposing, he's saying, okay, if, if your moral compass mm. is defined by what feels best or what you deem is best, that's just a thin veneer for being kind of like an animal. Yeah. Just following yeah. your appetites. That's really interesting. That's a, yeah, it's a, it's a strong argument. And I think it could also be like a juxtaposition to, how he started his letter talking about Christians. Mm-hmm. Christians, you've been joined to the divine nature up high yes. above. Yes, yes, yes. But these false teachers, they are like below human nature. They're all close to animals. Yeah, he calls them irrational animals, creatures of instinct, mm-hmm. like born to be caught, like trapped. How do you get trapped in something? You see food that you want in a trap. The animal goes in yeah. and it doesn't realize that its appetite has led it into a trap, led it into a type of judgment. I I'm so okay. So there, there there's a there's like a a Greek way of thinking about things mm-hmm. that would have been very offended by this argument. Okay, that would have been very like, oh, I don't want to be an animal. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah. We want we're we're above that. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea 
of a Greek way of life is to escape the carnal way of being mm-hmm. and live by the cardinal virtues. And like that's like a very Greek way of thinking. So if you say I'm an animal, you better back off because I want to be a very good human. Right. Yes, uh, yes. But there's like a modern way of thinking, which is like, we are evolved animals is yeah. how people think. And it's like, it's actually, I'm actually living more consistently and more wholly. Right. W-H-O-L-L-Y. Yeah. Whenever I am in tune with who, like what I want. Right. Like, yeah, it's like, it's self-contradictory. Like yeah. you're saying, it's kind of the same way. It's like, Sex is everything. It defines who you are. Right. Sex is nothing. Have who, whoever you want. It's like right. it's the same yeah. kind of like, and what ends up happening? You're just irrational. It's a, it's an irrational, irrational belief that's guided, basic on the principle of an appetite, even if it's fenced by. Make sure you don't hurt anybody else. Right. It's it's fun, that's what he's exposing mm-hmm. in this moment. Okay. Okay. So, what are the three animals that he uh, compares them to? Well, first we have to talk about blaspheming the glorious do we, one. Do we have do we, to <laughs> talk about that? So before he gets to the animal metaphor, he leads into the animal f- metaphor by saying, these people are bold and willful. Uh-huh. They do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, whereas angels, though greater in might and power, don't pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. Oh. Uh, and this is why they're like irrational animals. So, so, so they're like irrational animals because they're blaspheming angels. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I I resonate with that. I totally get we it. Oh, get. And let's that. just move on. Um, a couple ways to understand this. Okay. Um, one way to understand this is on Mount Sinai, mm-hmm. in the Book of Acts, chapter seven, in Hebrews, chapter two, angels were mediators of God's law. Right. Right. Yeah. There's so, a. There was a. Uh, Jewish tradition that the angels mediated the law giving. And even in the New Testament, yep. it's described as angels being present at the giving of the law and even ordaining the right. law. They were like, part of the ceremony. So to not follow God's law mm-hmm. and to follow moral passion, your own moral passions, is a form of blaspheming the angels. Right. And angels, uh, of course, angels here is not the traditional word angels, is it? Uh, oh no it is yeah oh it is okay this is not the i'm I'm getting confused so but yes uh so an angel then here is a messenger mm -hmm. and so like part of that message was Was the law law. was god's law so you're slandering angels by your refusal to listen to them yeah god god sent messengers to tell you things and you're not listening and it's like and so you're judging angels words and Uh when angels won't even judge you like and like paul will say don't you know you're gonna judge angels one day he's like you're you're rejecting authority yeah. in the way that your defi- your your passions are controlling you. He's making the same point by pointing to the way that angels have operated in the giving of the law. Okay. So, I mean, he's just he's completing his argument here. Yes, he is. Because he's been saying that like we have the true prophecy. We are the true teachers. You are the false teachers. We're in line with the story of scripture. You're out of line. Mm-hmm. And he's like, "Let's even let's think about angels in the Old Testament." Right? I mean, there were angels uh, present in at least two of the three stories he mentioned. There are. Right? Sodom and Gomorrah, they came to Abraham and told him about the destruction of Sodom mm-hmm. and Gomorrah. And um, they came and like told him the message that judgment was coming. Yeah. And he he believed them. Yeah. Right? Right, right, right. And they came to the city of Sodom and Gomorrah and the inhabitants wanted to do other things to the angels. They wanted to rape the angels. <laughs> repeating the, the story of the Nephilim. Yes. So in the first story, which we didn't get into the details of, but right. in the beginning of the flood narrative, if you had these angelic beings, spiritual beings, having sex with the daughters of men. Mm-hmm. So you have another angelic rape story, which is such, a, so strange. such a strange. Yep. But what what are those things? two things have in common? The story of Sodom and Gomorrah and the story of the sons of God. Defiling passion and a rejection of authority. Mm-hmm. And so he's saying, okay, that's actually behind the scenes. That's actually what's happening when anytime you reject the law, anytime you reject God's moral teachings, there's an element of <laughs> in which you are slandering spiritual beings who have some authority mm-hmm. that you're transgressing. <laughs> right. That's, yeah. That's the point. There's making. a mess. So, I mean, it's, it's important to just say it again, just because of how oversaturated the Western imagination is with when I say the word angel. It's yeah. populated with so many ideas yeah. that are just not true. Yeah. 
uh, the, the only thing you need to be thinking about right now is a messenger. That's what the uh -huh. word angelos means. Yeah. That's what angel means messenger. Angelos is just a transliteration, or yeah. angel is just a transliteration mm -hmm. of the word angelos, but it means messenger. And they've, they have given a message that you false teachers aren't listening to. Yeah. And, you know, it's, you're, you are treating their word rapaciously, mm -hmm. you know, in mm -hmm. a sense. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's how they're blaspheming them. Yeah. Is they're saying, they're taking their message and they're turning it on its head and saying, oh, they're saying that there's right. uh, no, no judgment or yeah. there is judgment, but really there's not. And animals who don't understand the power of their opponents, what happens to them? They're destroyed. Mm. If a rabbit goes up against a lion. Oh, I see what you're saying. It gets eaten. Mm -hmm. Humans who believe they can. Go against the word of an angel. Are are messing with literal Sodom and Gomorrah fire, like you know, like they're they're, they're like you're, messing, you're, play, you're playing with fire. You're, you're playing with fire. Playing with napalm um, to to do this, uh -huh, uh -huh. and you and then he goes on to say they're suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. Yeah. First, they continue like, their blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions, and it's while they feast with you. He's saying like these false teachers are still among you. Yeah. Doing all these things. <laughs> okay, okay yeah. yeah yeah so he's saying the false teachers are blaspheming the angels the messengers mm -hmm. because they're not listening to the message that's right he says but the angels aren't blaspheming you yeah what does that mean okay <laughs> so they're uh so it could be they don't pronounce a blasphemous judgment against other angels okay which is what the book of jude will talk about okay when the archangel michael doesn't <laughs> Pronounce a judgment against Satan. Mo oh, yeah, against Satan about Moses. About right. Moses. Right, 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 right. So it's so just so wait hairy. till the Jude podcast for that one. Or it could be that angels don't have any authority over us. Regardless. Yeah, or yeah, or they and they know they don't, and so they're not trying to assume some false authority. Right. The idea there is probably like even angels. Angels, though, like angels, we assume angels are in a category above right. us, and and it's even they up there in that high category, they're not pronouncing judgment like yeah. they're not trying to weigh what words of god are true and false or like another way to say it is these false teachers are um rejecting or reversing any authority structure they can find right the idea that god is judge god as judge doesn't exist mm -hmm. the old testament as a authoritative day of god for life that's actually wrong angelic beings who are supposed to be god's messenger god's messengers they don't like we reject that authority mm -hmm. out of hand yeah and he he <laughs> Peter's point is like you have all this divine historic authority been vested in these different ca these people categories mm -hmm. my own son and you've rejected it all yeah you're acting like an irrational animal right when you do this um you're blaspheming about matters which in which you're ignorant right that's okay that's the point okay so now do I get to ask my animal question yes so what three animals does he compare them uh, to? so first we've just animals in general right then he's going to refer to them like Balaam's donkey. Mm -hmm. And then he's going to go to call them dogs and pigs. Okay. Donkeys, dogs, and pigs. Donkeys, dogs, and pigs. Okay. So, okay. Why bring Balaam into this story? Oh, so, so, so for those who don't remember, yeah. Balaam is from the story in the book of Numbers mm -hmm. where the, the people of Israel are right outside the kingdom of Moab. I don't remember. I don't remember either. Oh, man. My head. Okay. Anyway, maybe you can look it up while I'm <laughs> retelling the story. But they're encroaching on this kingdom, and the king there uh, is scared because the Israelites have been conquering kingdom after kingdom. And so he hires a very famous and prominent mm. pagan prophet named Balaam, mm -hmm. a diviner, and he, and he goes and offers to basically buy him out. To, he buys to like, a prophecy against Israel. To buy a prophecy against Israel. And Balaam finally says yes, and he goes um, to to condemn Israel mm -hmm. in the pocket of this evil king. That's and right. on the way, even though this prophet is so stupid that he's going to go condemn God's people irrationally because he's being paid for it, his own donkey that he's riding on tries to turn him around to keep him from doing something stupid. And he keeps beating his donkey three times, trying to yeah. get him to continue the journey until God opens the donkey's mouth to rebuke 
Balaam. Yeah. And so the donkey ends up being the smart one. Right. And the and and Balaam's the idiot. And it's kind of even like he kind of amps it up. He was like, "You're being like irrational animals. Actually, worse. There are animals that know better than you." Yes. That's like that's that's the joke. That's that, the joke that Peter's making. Yes. Um. Yeah. yeah. And again, because. Balaam at that point now it's a, it's a weird story but at that point it's assumed that Balaam was going to not listen to God's voice he yeah. was going to go proclaim a prophecy against God's people even uh-huh. though that wasn't God's word he was going to blaspheme the message mm-hmm. the me- the messenger yeah. the messenger and so he's like you're you're being stupider than a donkey yeah okay uh, and he's adding a layer here of greed so Balaam is this greedy figure right and he's saying these people are profiting off of their theological position here yes these people are saying you can live a more morally um lax lifestyle a more morally relaxed lifestyle and they're getting paid for it. People are listening to them. They're profiting yep. off this just as Balaam prophes- was going to profit off a of false prophecy. Right. And there's also, I mean, to bring Balaam into this story is so offensive. Uh, not only because of everything we've just said. You're dumber than a donkey. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're super greedy. But like there was, people, the, the Jewish people and like, like, and like surrounding cultures kept writing about Balaam. Yeah. Like he was like a famous figure. I mean, the fact that, 2,000 years after Numbers was written, or however long... Yeah, uh, you're still uh, referring to him. You're still talking about him. But what, like, I mean, to bring him up in the context of animalism is Uh, really offensive because there was also um, other literature circulating at this time that that was claiming that um, Balaam was, um, like, engaged in bestiality. uh, So he followed his passions to some really dark places. Yeah. And he was, like, a slave to him, so much so that he almost became what he loved in a sense you know he became like a donkey yeah and so it's just like really gross offensive peter's announcement really He's holding not pulling his punches <laughs> pulling any punches at all and so then he calls them a dog that returns to his own vomit which he's quoting proverbs here yeah before we get there oh, okay. let's okay. so, so okay, you say he's he's becoming yeah his own sin right and this this, so this is where he, Peter goes all in on the idea of being a slave to your passion. Ah, uh, right. right here. He's like, there are waterless springs. Like there's something that's supposed to slake your thirst that doesn't. Uh-huh. There are mist that's just blowing anywhere that the wind takes them. They're enticing by sensual passions, but they're slaves to the passions that they say are actually freeing them mm. for whatever overcomes a person to that. He is enslaved. Yeah. Um, that's such like a powerful metaphor to talk about like things that we pursue in our passions, a waterless spring where it's like, man, this uh, licentious relationship or mm-hmm. pornography or, you know, any number of things, this, the corner office, it's yeah. like, it's going to gush forth mm-hmm. and just give me what I need. It's going to slake my thirst. Yeah. And it's just, it's a spring, but it's waterless. Yeah. And you go to it looking for a drink only to come back thirsty. And, and that's what these false teachers are. And it's it's like a dog going back to its own vomit. It's like a pig after washing itself going back to wallow in the mire. This is the third animal imagery. So why is that like that's a waterless spring? Vomit is a waterless spring. It's reused junk that you're eating to hope to get the same nourishment out of. It's like it's the it's the psychology of pornography. You know, people talk mm. about this all the time. You have a passion that you're driven by, you exhaust your passion, but it takes more to do it again and mm. more to do it the third time. And there's a diminishing return that happens over time and over time. And eventually all you're left with is the trash from your passion trying to fulfill that original desire. Mm. It never works. Maybe you're more like a pig though, who tries to clean himself up, but like a couple days later, it mm-hmm. happens all over again. You can't escape your passions if your passions are your worldview. Right. If the worldview is there is no judgment, do what you want, and there's supposed to be freedom in that, there actually can never never be. You'll be, always be a slave. Because your passions are the only, only right es- thing. Yeah, the that's only the only thing you have. that's right. available to you. Yeah, and he says it strangely in the context of um, verse 20, right? Uh, that he says that they have, uh, if, the, if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and then they are again entangled in them again, uh, the last state is worse than the first. It would have been better for them to have never known the way of righteousness than after knowing it, turn back from it. And so he's talking about people who have known about Jesus, mm-hmm. known about the freedom of Christ that he offers, mm-hmm. and then said like, no, 
I actually don't think he's coming back to judge the world. I actually don't think the moral code of Jesus's way of life is better. And then they go back to the vomit, back to mm-hmm. the filth. Like, yeah, that's what he's that's what he's saying. It's like right because it, it heightens. Like that's why it's vomit is right. because it's something that you rejected at one point in time. Yeah, started tasting true food, and they're like, actually, I want to go back to, to the, the vomit. Old. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, that's a. I think I think verses like that are scary. I mean, for a yeah. lot of people, yeah, that, that it's just like, man, people can have a Christian experience, mm-hmm. and then go back to the vomit, and they're actually wor- why why are they worse off then than they are than they would have been if they never would have known about Jesus? Why is it worse yeah. to have loved than lost than to have never loved at all? <laughs> <laughs> I was like. Does that does that work? Um, <laughs> why why is it better to have known Jesus and lost Jesus than to have never had Jesus at all? Uh, why is it better to have never had Jesus? Yeah, why is it better? Yeah, to never have Jesus. Sorry, it's the opposite. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's the, the opposite. opposite. Sorry. Um, yes. Well, I mean, it's better to never taste real food. Oh right, to have the, they have the comparison of like right. I've only so ever like, had vomit. I've only if, ever been filthy. If you've only been <laughs> eaten the vomit. And you, that's all you know. Right. But to be given a taste of true freedom in Jesus um, and to, to neglect that thing, that's a, a punishment all in of itself. Mm. And that's the, the classic C.S. Lewis line, right? He says, uh, when he, and he's talking about sensuality like this. Mm-hmm. And he says, I don't think God would call our desires too strong for mm-hmm. things like sex or money or power, but too weak. Right. We're half-hearted creatures messing about with food and sex and drink. When freedom is offered to you, mm. we're the, the analogy is we are content with playing mud pies in the slum because we can't imagine a holiday at sea. Mm-hmm. And the image of righteousness to Peter is the end to which the world was meant to be, a world of justice and equity and righteousness is a good thing. Right. It's not... Um, it's hard to like talk about the perfect world in ways that don't sound trite. Yeah. But it's like, it's the opposite of being slaves to your passion. It's being ruled by benevolence mm-hmm. and by a king who cares and draws near to you. Everything they're rejecting in Jesus is actually what they hope for and what they think they can get right. in their licentious lifestyle. <laughs> right. But it's not, there's a holiday at sea. And comp- you just are making mud pies in the slums. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Okay. So, uh, I mean, what's the good news for us here that like, I mean, you've got this, this false teaching that, um, living however you want, following your passions and your appetites, um, will actually just like make you feel really good and it will lead to freedom. There's no need to worry about coming judgment, live your life however you want to, just don't worry about it. And he says, no, that's not true. Actually, all you're doing is being enslaved to your passions. You'll never be free. You're like an animal. A donkey's smarter than you if you believe that. I mean, what's the good news for us here as hopefully non-animalistic humans who don't want to blaspheme angels? Um, there is freedom. Hmm. Like, I mean, that's that's the yeah, good news. Yeah. It's like everything that the false teachers are offering is slavery, ironic slavery. But there is freedom actual freedom the thing that the false teachers hope for freedom Mm. is found by bowing to the king right like that's actually possible there is eternal life offered for those who love and trust jesus there is a world of righteousness for those who are willing to submit to god's laws there is a world where i'm not ruled by my passions but I'm still at that same moment given everything I want mm-hmm. because like, that's a thing. Like I feel like I'm always double checking my desires. Is that a right thing to want? Is that a right, right. thing to want? Is that a right thing? To want? I don't know because I've got this Holy spirit governor <laughs> on my heart, you know, to try to figure yeah. out these things, but there will be a day where I won't want wrong things anymore. Right. And like that to quote C.S. Lewis to again, quote, to quote C.S. <laughs> Prince Caspian, but like, and that, I mean, that is good news because the false teachers are offering something that feels like it should be true. Mm. Shouldn't it be possible for people who believe in God to not want wrong things? Mm-hmm. Yes, but not that way. Right. There is a day coming, but it's not when we are the king of our own hearts. It's when 
Jesus rules over the world Mm -hmm. and it's coming soon. Like that's the good news. Yeah. I mean, it feels like, it feels like, it feels like good news. I really want. And I know a lot of people really want is, is there a way to be free from my constant animalistic longings that I keep feeding and they're waterless springs? Like, cause that just feels constant. Yeah. Um, and the answer is yes, but it's not in the waterless springs. You have to go to a different source. Um, and that source is first found by understanding that Jesus is going to come and he's going to judge the waterless springs. Mm -hmm. And he's going to judge the animalistic desires. Why? Because he's mean and petty and wants you to not live a certain way? No. So he doesn't want you messing with mud pies he, anymore. Because he, he wants you to like know he's coming and like Lot, turn tail and run from Sodom and Gomorrah to go to the holiday at sea. Yeah. Like he wants you to be in the ark, not under the water. Yes. Like, because he wants a better life for you. And he wants you to join him in the divine nature. He wants you to come up on the Mount of Transfiguration and behold his glory. Mm-hmm. Like that's what he wants you to do. And, and so, like, I think the message here for all of us is know that Jesus is coming. Know that judgment mm-hmm. against the waterless springs is coming and turn to a better source. Turn to a water that will never make you thirsty again. Mm-hmm. Like, that, and, and it's that he who is coming to judge also is able to save. <laughs> and, like, get in the ark. Like, give yeah. your trust and your hope to him and he will slake your thirst. How? Mm-hmm. By joining you into the divine nature and by knowing him, leading you from, you know, virtue to knowledge to godliness to everything he listed in chapter one, um, yeah. he'll, he'll save you from being an animal. Yeah. So, okay. Well, I think we're going to have to save chapter three till next week. Okay. Well, I'll do one more episode. One then. more episode in Second okay. Peter. We didn't quite get to it today. So thank you guys for listening. And we'll finish Second Peter next week with universalism. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I was not expecting that term, but whenever we were editing our uh, Devos today, you got in on it. So. I did. I was Because it's just this idea of like, why hasn't God come back yet? Why hasn't Jesus come back yet? It's because he wants all to be saved. What does he mean? Dun, dun, dun. Tune in next Tune week. Tune in next week. It's terrible lead in. All right, guys. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel creates short films, devotionals, and podcasts like this one. Everything we make is free because of generous supporters like you. To see our resources, visit SpokenGospel.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening. See you next week.